Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, we're recording this 11.40 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Sunday night on the 26th. Um, a few episodes in, and if you understand sort of the look and feel of the podcast right now, you would expect at this point to have some sort of an introduction. Um, I know that this isn't necessarily related to San Diego State basketball per se, but I wanted to spend at least an episode to talk about Kobe. Um, just sort of what he meant to me and what he means to the world of basketball. Whether you're a sport of, or sorry, a fan of San Diego State or any other collegiate basketball team, whether you're even a basketball fan, I feel like everybody knew Kobe. And unfortunately, this is going to be one of those moments where you will remember where you were when the news broke. I was having lunch with my parents. And, you know, uh, just had an urge to check the phone. And I know it's typically a bad habit of mine, but I figured it would be a good time to check it. And it was just text message after text message, missed phone calls, FaceTimes. And I got the sense that something was up. Um, you know, at first, in today's day and age, you want to feel like, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a lot of stuff that out there that's not true. And that's sort of where my head was at. It's like, there's no way. I mean, I, Kobe just tweeted about LeBron passing him in the all-time scoring list just, you know, the other night. Um, but as more and more reporters both in and out of the sports world, um, either tweeted about it or confirmed it somewhere on their social media. It it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, for full uh, for reference, you know we're recording this in LA. I'm a born and raised Angelino, diehard Laker fan. Um, you know I'm right around the demographic who kind of just remember Kobe as sort of the first prominent basketball player that they grew up and what grew up watching. And I remember, I think in the late nineties, you know, you had those old tube TVs and back then the Lakers had those jerseys with, um, a little bit of a white background that was sort of at a diagonal to the number. And, Oftentimes, Kobe would come off the bench for Eddie Jones, who's wearing number six. And one of the first things I remember about watching basketball is trying to figure out who's Eddie and who's Kobe, because it was really hard to tell on standard definition and on like a 13-inch screen just exactly who's who until the graphic came up. Um, And that just kind of 
became my earliest basketball memory. That kind of kicked into gear my fascination of trying to remember jersey numbers and who, which player wore what. Um, and it kind of grew from there. He's, I mean, he's basically the reason why I fell in love with basketball. His demeanor, his skill, his confidence, everything about it seemed to fit with L.A. And there was sort of an aura of showtime that was lingering from as early as the mid-90s. And here we are in the 2000s trying to revitalize that great era. Um, I mean, I remember everything from the air balls in Utah, trying to process what happened, wondering what happened to Kobe, if he was hurt or not. And I remember finally getting over San Antonio and the Twin Towers there with David Robinson and Tim Duncan and sort of the relief that I felt when that happened. And then, of course, you have the Blazers, which was just so tough to get over. Um, you have the Kings and the great matchups in the early 2000s with them. And it was a time in my life where, um, I mean, even thinking now, my first basketball team was named the Jaguars. I don't ask why. And it was, we decided to go with gold tops. So everyone asked what number they wanted. And I raised my hand first and said, I want number eight. Um, I don't know, for those who are listening who remember uh, AOL Instant Messenger or AIM, you know, my AIM screen name. Uh, without embarrassing myself, let's just say it ended in a number eight. And it's just one of those things where I tried to find connections between myself and Kobe, even in the smallest of details. I was born in August. He was born in August. Um, I was born in 1989. He was born in 1978. And I just, uh, illogically married the two together, just seven, eight and eight, nine, you know, sequentially speaking, it's a match. Um, just silly things like that. He was the only boy and I'm an only child. So technically I'm an only boy. Uh, <laughs> he's theoretically born in another country and immigrated here or was raised in Philly. Um, my parents came over from Korea. So the, I we share immigrant qualities, I guess you could say. You know, it's just so silly things like that. I mean, I, I just remember, you know, wanting to buy his shoes and wanting to wear the one leg, the one leg legging or the single leg wrap or even the band on the bicep you know, um, play with his flair, his try to pick up his mannerisms. It was just a thing. And his demeanor on the court as it grew and as he grew 
became more than just a demeanor for basketball. It became a philosophy for life, at least to me. It represented just the ability to attack the day, that no hurdle is impossible to overcome, that any goal can be achieved through hard work and dedication, that any noise you hear, any doubt, any hate from outside almost doesn't matter because before anybody else believes in it, you have to believe in it and you have to put in the time and the effort to really be good at it. And Kobe seemed to find joy in retirement in the challenge of trying to get good at something else, applying what he's learned through basketball in creative aspects and growing up being in all these various camps, classes, summer camps, you know, I had a similar outlook and, you know, as a first generation Asian American, you know, you come into a culture that's very much individualistic and, you know, the mentality is a little different in Western culture than it is in Eastern culture. Being raised in a household where it was very much put in the work, don't complain, keep working, keep chugging away, things are going to work out, do the right thing. It made sense to me because then I look, I turn around, I turn on the TV and I see Kobe sort of doing the same thing, just putting in the work, being confident in what you're capable of and not being afraid of the challenge that's ahead, that anything is, is possible, anything can be achieved. And, you know, basketball feats aside, it, it over the 20 years of his playing career, it's just kind of his, that Mamba mentality, that Mamba DNA just sort of became a fabric, just became a part of me. It's almost like a, like a stain I couldn't get away. And it kind of just grew and grew and you have it for so long, you just kind of forget that it existed, that it, you just think that it's just a part of you. And then a day like day, a day like today happens where it's just, you know, the proverbial rug is swept from underneath you and you're kind of left to really process and assess what's going on and you quickly realize how much of an impact Kobe had. And you kind of got to see that globally. You know, in a matter of hours, players from the NFL during the Pro Bowl are, are celebrating his fadeaway with his fadeaway. You know, throwing up the two and the four or the eight. You have NBA players from all different age groups getting very emotional just because of the impact that Kobe's had. And it even reached as far as France. And you see it in when Neymar scored the goal, running to the camera, throwing up the 2-4. Um, you know, it was just, it's just been a very emotional day. I found myself 
trying to find ways to distract from my thoughts, distract myself from my own thoughts, and kept going back. In every video, I would see every reaction from every prominent, notable member in, in basketball and in media, and just kept bringing back tears. Um, and I say all that, and I'm not even mentioning his 13-year-old daughter, and that just throws this whole other mix of emotions and just becomes something that's going to take a while to process. You know, I'm trying to stay away from social media as long as I can to be able to be in my own thoughts to really process it out. But you can't help but wonder what certain members of media are thinking. And the very cool thing, but also notable thing to recognize is every member had a unique Kobe story, whether it was sort of his confidence, whether it was his off-the-camera or off-the-court behavior, or if it's just something that solidifies what you thought Kobe was. And I think Bill Simmons said it best, coming from a Celtic fan who hated Kobe and the Lakers, he noted that everybody in the inner circle of the NBA from Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame media members, players, coaches, no one had a bad thing to say about Kobe. Anyone that got to know him that really understood who he was never had a bad thing to say about Kobe. And you see players go beyond just a typical tweet or Instagram post. There's, there's just a lot. A lot. And I'm just trying to really understand what this all means and how it's going to be moving forward. And I'm definitely hopeful. Definitely optimistic in the sense that there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of this. Obviously, I would much have I'd much rather have it the exact opposite way where today is just a normal Sunday. But unfortunately, it's not. And if there's any lesson I learn from the Mamba himself is that through adversity, through hardship, you have to find a way to keep going. You have to find a way to continue carrying the torch, so to speak, the Mamba mentality. So, Kobe, never met you, 
I've never ran into you at a Starbucks or something or, you know, claimed to know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows your security guard's cousin or something like that. We're completely disconnected. But um, you took your career from everything that I've seen was able to influence some random kid in the South Bay growing up watching the Lakers to somehow adopt your persona as his own and approach life day in and day out with wondering how Kobe would approach it. Um, I tore my Achilles January 4th of last year and my immediate reaction was just, okay, what's next? And everywhere I went, people asked what happened and I would just say I, it was a Kobe and people understood. And no, no one, after I said that, no one ever really felt sorry for me. It was just sort of, well, if Kobe can do it, you can do it. If Kobe, you know, basically showed you the, the route to take. And I completely understood. I mean, I never even thought to take a moment to complain or, you know, bitch and moan about having a torn Achilles. It, the mindset was always, well, it is what it is. You know, complaining about it, it's not going to get, magically heal it. So let's just keep going. And that definitely, definitely was influenced by Kobe. Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, the next episode will definitely have a review, a look back and a look ahead for both the men's and women's team. But I just wanted to take the time for at least an episode to really express what a really sad day and shocking day today is. Um, this is, this is really tough. Man. Kobe, I remember those two buzzer beaters in Portland. I mean, those, that's probably my most memorable moment of your career. That shot over Ruben Patterson, which made me feel so good because he kept calling you the Kobe stopper and I just, Refused to believe it. I thought it was nobody can stop Kobe. And to run from underneath the basket to the left wing, get a pass and basically hit a 180, turn around, fade away, three-pointer with a 6'10 Theo Ratliff running full steam ahead, trying to block that shot. Nothing but net. To win the game in overtime is just one of the coolest memories I'll ever have. Everyone remembers so many other moments, the 81, the 62 and three quarters, 61 in Madison Square Garden. But to me, and just for me, 
I felt like that was, that was my favorite. Man. <sighs> really don't know what else to say other than this is just horrible. Um, there'll be a, there'll be another episode coming soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.